0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Walking Away from Arcadia. This is part of our series of episodes talking about the crazy projects we have going on in the Storyteller's Vault. Um, The last episode, we decided to betray all of you and ramble about Mage. We are now solidly back in the realm of Changeling, and I'm going to do a good turnabout to Simon. Uh, The next book that we have in the works, it's through writing and editing and i'm doing layout on it now but simon was the one who wrote it and developed it it is Kithbook fawn so we decided to spend some time talking about it and i'm gonna ask simon what's up with this crazy kith book fawn and why do we need more fawns aren't satyrs fawns technically and he has answers and thoughts on all of that so What's what's the pitch for Kith Book Fawn? What is, what is this book?
1: So the thing I was trying to do with Kith Book Fawn was to use some of the negative space that was left in Changeling the Dreaming. Basically to create a space to talk about and examine the concept of colonialism in Changeling the Dreaming. One of the story pillars in the metaplot is... The changelings from Europe came over to America and colonized America, along with the settlers, and then they themselves during the resurgence were colonized by the Shi. and I felt like there wasn't enough focus on that. So I looked back through European history for places where Europe was colonized, and the Romans managed to colonize a huge chunk of Europe, and decided to introduce a kith that focuses primarily on that to give people another tool in their arsenal for kind of leveraging those plot points in the changeling meta plot
0: what are the fauns exactly what is, what is their relationship to the fauns satyrs that are in the canon
1: i took a look at the mythological basis for the celtic gaulish fawn myths and looked at where they differed from the greek satyr myths and they're entirely different beings i know that uh the by night studios version of changing the dreaming uses the idea of regional kiths and how uh, satyr would be the the base kit, and then you would like layer fawn on top of that and i have as many problems with that in this context as i do in the layering um, non-white minority kits on top of she because they're just fundamentally different things and they represent different cultural values and saying that this is a variation of the base kit is reductive I created three different subkits of Fawn based on different aspects of uh stories about Canonos and Kernach. They are in different ways similar to and different from
0: Satyrs. And they also kind of have a unique relationship with Saturn's. Um I don't know how much of that you want to reveal, but If you were to give just a high-level teaser of uh, um, the political tension and hooks that you set up in this book, how, how would you describe those?
1: Sure, like a lot about Changeling, I focused on the modern period, but I provided some backstory on where the Fawns went and where they came from during the Sundering and the Shattering. And I wrote a fairly contentious, I hope, history um, between the fauns and the satyrs and the cathane generally as the political organization that came to be known as the cathane was forming during the sundering i tried to tie it together with um, with roman culture encroaching on gaul and the british isles and also with the spread of christianity and there are some hooks into House Liam there too. But I really wanted to focus that story on um, the importance of cultural preservation and reclamation. So um, it was important to make sure that the satyrs and the fauns were different and in this relationship I put the satyrs in a, a a position of power similar to that of House Liam in the rising uh, Cithaean structure in europe which necessarily puts the fauns in a minority position and they have feelings about that all of them have feelings about that
0: one thing that i thought was really interesting is you know i read this book i did i did an initial pass on it to to give you feedback um and it does have the the fawns of kernonos in this marginalized minimized position which makes sense given the history of the Gauls and Rome. And then I started looking for art to, to try to find a, a place to like find good images of deer based fawns that we could use as a basis for art. And I discovered that, you know, I think of deer based fawns as a pretty substantial part of, um, general mythological archetype, but there is not much out there. There's surprisingly little
1: out yeah, there. It's
0: wild. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I just spent too much time watching Princess Mononoke. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a major thing, right? Right. No, nope, right. not and, at all. Yeah. And
1: I've lived <laughs> around the Great Lakes for such a long time that like, even, uh, the indigenous Americans, some of their deer stories have penetrated, penetrated my white cultural bubble. And like, white deer woman totally exists. Bagwajawininawag, not exactly a deer, but could have been.
0: Yeah, and there are you know a fair number of stories in parts of Asia, especially in the northern parts of Japan, and then I know there are some stories around the musk deer because it was such a significant animal in parts of China, and they aren't like they aren't big stories in America. I don't know exactly where they fall in in common cultural consciousness in in their source cultures either, but I'm a aware that they exist. Um so yeah it was interesting just to to search and find like the same three images of Kernonos in low resolution.
1: Yeah. Over and over if, again. Yeah I don't know if you found the uh the Neolithic drawing mm-hmm. of him sitting with yep. his legs crossed. I found that one over yep.
0: and over and over again. So many times. And it's a good drawing. There's one that's uh an archaeological find that was made in Brass, copper, it's like a metal relief of him. I found a bunch of that. Similar position. Um yeah, but that was about it. Uh the the deer fawn just doesn't have very many modern cultural manifestations, which, you know, especially given the particular struggle of getting art for storytellers' vault pieces, um, because of the licensing and cost with that, I I think you did a pretty awesome job of finding a way to make that work um i hope people really appreciate how the art was was handled given the limited source material
1: yeah originally i was going through the the white wolf art packs for a changeling and being like eh satyr close enough and then i thought about that for a minute and i was like wait no that's my objection why am i doing
0: this <laughs> yeah
1: but yeah, it was really hard to find um, examples of dear folkloric figures in art that were also free for commercial use, because <laughs> let's mm-hmm. be honest, I don't have a
0: huge budget for this stuff. I, no one does. I mean, yeah, Storyteller Vault projects are, are cool, and some of them have been fairly successful, but they don't. They don't make the kind of money that an official release does. So right. you have to kind of work creatively to make the art happen. Right. Um, and I
1: feel kind of like, I feel like as I was revising this, that some of my frustration with that bled back into the writing. Because the idea that it's hard to find modern cultural representations of Karnanos or Conal Karnach are, it just plays right into the idea that The Fae have gone through multiple periods of consolidation and genocide against other Fae. And maybe I got a little bitter about how hard it was to find art.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that's fair. Um, To kind of cycle back to the writing, because, you know, for someone wanting to pick this book up, especially if they're running a more political game, we've talked a little bit about the satyr-fawn relationship, but where do you see the fawns really landing in Concordian society overall? Are they a little closer to the Galen group, Skilly-Doo, uh, warple or did you write them thinking of them more as part of Concordian society at large?
1: One of the things I wanted to do that, if I ever end up doing a revised edition of this, uh, I'll come back to, because I don't think I did a particularly strong job of it, was to use the idea um, Well, I mean really the cultural and historical history of uh, when colonization happens that the colonizers set up a a minority group as slightly better than um, the conquered peoples and I wanted to use the fawns a little bit as that in Concordia so I tried to set them up as nobody knew about fawns for the entire interregnum until the resurgence when the she came back and in their wake the fawns came back and during the resurgence war uh I think I wrote that two of the three fawn subfamilies sided with the She and the Resurgence War, and were justly rewarded with citizenship in Concordia, even though during the, uh, the Shattering, in particular, the uh, House Liam and the Satyrs tried to wipe them out. I, I tried to use the idea of the oppressed, my oppressor in that colonization context, leading away from the Resurgence, as with many of the other kiths in Concordia, the fawns became more and more disillusioned with the Concordian experiment, and individuals and subfamilies within the fawn kith react to their disappointment with the Concordian experiment and their place in it in different ways. Some locate themselves among the glane, others embrace the mess of Concordia, and I tried to create a complicated place where players could pick up a fawn and put them wherever they wanted in the game.
0: I mean, I actually think that came across pretty well. Um, I think especially the the different fawn subgroups' views of Concordia came across very well. Um, so kind of a, a two-parter question here. Um, We talked about Concordia and their views on the Concordian experiment. Speaking of big white space, how do you view them in broader face society? Say if someone were to set something in Europe, question mark, question mark, question mark, what does that look like? And also, you know, in placing them, maybe you could share a little bit about this idea of the courtless that you've woven into this book.
1: So I tried to leave Europe alone, except as... The historical background for where the fawns came from because, to be completely honest, I lack the cultural sensitivity to be able to deal with the way changelings should look in European countries. So as sort of an appendix item to the book, I grabbed some of my old writing about changelings who Reject whatever political structure they find themselves in. So for the Cathane, that would be rejecting the Concordian Courts. While I don't think it would be exclusive to the fawns, I think more fawns than many other kits would fall into this category. I wanted to weave back into the game the idea of the Solstice Fae from Dark Ages Fey, Uh Changelings who either... Uh, failed to resonate with any of the courts or who reject the courts themselves. In my telling, I suppose is how I'm going to say this, they get a little bit of the old second edition ability to resist uses of sovereign through, you know, calling on the autumn like you do for all changeling magic uh, because that was written out of C20. But on the flip side, they also have to deal with having a shakier changeling identity. So they're subject to both of their legacies at the same time all the time. And if they ever buy into a political structure such as Concordia, they lose their, their courtless status because the dreaming is unfair. And if you buy into a political structure, you should be subject to it from that point on.
0: I thought the way the Courtless idea was folded in to the Fawns was really interesting. And I think I might be remembering this wrong, but I think you originally released your first Courtless write-up on the Walking Away from Arcadia blog. So if I did anyone's it. Yeah, so if anyone's curious about that, we always post that with the podcast. You can go to um, our Podbean site, find a link and and get a peek at what an earlier write-up of that looked like. And if that interests you, I think um, taking a look at Kith Book Fawn and at least one of the character templates is Courtless, um, I think it's a nice advancement of that idea. Um, so what's your favorite thing? Like the one thing that you were happiest with when you were done with it in the book?
1: I'm the only puka on earth who has the knocker flaw. I don't like anything I make. <laughs> um, let me think. The thing I enjoyed writing the most for this was uh, writing the Nathair, which are a subfamily of the fawns, because they just fell into a lot of places I thought Changeling could have used more elaboration and more development. Um, they're the ones that are most closely based on... Keranos, their symbols are the deer and the snake, their fae that are in touch with the underworld and especially in the context of how Americans <laughs> who came out of these cultures in Europe lost pretty much everything related to the pre-Christian cultures. Then um, the there's objectives as a subfamily of the fauns all revolve around um, parts of the ancestor worship cults that more or less don't exist in mainstream American society anymore. That was the place I was most excited about writing.
0: Well, and the thing I really liked about the Nathair is they're connected to the underworld. They have a birthright connected to the underworld, but they're not Mopi gothy, fairies um throughout most of the world of darkness wherever anything touches the underworld it gets smacked with a big jaw aesthetic to use a mage term um you know Mm -hmm. everything ends up being wormy it does and from a very western fear of death perspective which to be fair that fear of death is kind of central to most of the metaphors in the original World of Darkness. That makes sense. But once I kind of got over telling that and Weaver wild fear of death story over and over again, and I started to want to use the World of Darkness as a metaphor for actual cultures, relationships with death, and I realized, oh, this like distant relationship, I want everything covered in makeup and embalmed and perfect before i see my loved ones that like weird artificial separate relationship with death is unique to us to the and really to modern america like i say modern post-civil war is when you know uh embalming became big and when that relationship started to develop um and the more i realized that The more i wanted things in the world of darkness that had the everyday relationship with death that you know cultures outside of very very industrialized western cultures have um and i say very industrialized because there are some pretty heavily industrialized cultures outside of the west that still have a much more holistic relationship with death um and it's just not there in the writing anywhere and i liked that the nathare have that relationship but are not spooky mix-spooky pants i mm-hmm. they really appreciated that in broad strokes
1: to make it easy to understand um the nathare at least when i was writing them i was trying to hold Sluwashi and shishi for lack of a better term in my mind at the same time Because uh, Cairnos, what survives of his stories um, revolves around that connection to, well, I mean the underworld really, but um, the Irish idea of the underworld is very, it's just another extension of fairyland, you can walk into it accidentally, the fairies live there too kind of a thing. And he's also a deity of wealth in some stories, so... I wanted to like link the proper relationship between the living and the dead with with wealth in multiple values of wealth so not just material wealth but also the health of the individual the health of the psyche the health of the culture again if i get around to doing a revised version of this building out the dark house, the kingdom of the the Nefair that doesn't exist anymore in the underworld would be a place to play with that idea a little bit more but as it is now people can pick up the, the Nefair and use the space that's left to build out their own borderland between the Dreaming and the underworld that was destroyed by the
0: Shattering and the many maelstroms that hit the underworld. That's really interesting space. I'm I'm going to continue to try to convince you to write out some of these other concepts and adventures or other supplements and not wait until you're ready to redo this thing entirely. Because um, I think especially like that hidden lost house could be a really interesting center of say a particular story. Um, but at least for now, you keep talking about your your dream for for revised. I think that kit book font as it exists is pretty exciting and adds some really interesting new space to the canon um is there any other one thing before we wrap up you would want to pitch about this book a reason someone would would want to add this to their collection of tools when building a changeling story the one thing i really hope
1: people who pick up this book um take away from it is that more than anything else it's an invitation to look a little bit more deeply at the place colonization and the attendant violence of colonization holds in the real world and in the world of darkness and they take it as an invitation to write their own stories about their own experiences with colonization and its violence and to make more spaces for that for different versions of that story that maybe are a little bit more authentic to their own experience because really there's only so much that i can authentically write about and this was a little bit of a stretch even of that
0: yeah but i i think that especially since it's such a historic piece and it's talking about something that is so removed for a lot of people but has such a similar shape to dynamics that we still grapple with it's a good way to approach those themes i when i went on mage the podcast to talk about um you know phoenix rising (laughs) the (laughs) the host for that particular sort of corner of mage the podcast they have a few hosts that do different sets of episodes said he started listening to walking away from Arcadia and was immediately like enthralled with changeling, but also completely intimidated because it's this completely different game than he thought the pitch was, which to be fair, that's mostly my and Simon's lens being, you know, shined out into the world, but still he had that reaction. And I, I feel like for anyone who wants to get into colonization and marginalization and, you know, how the kind of, I'll say, shaping combat, I don't mean it exclusively in the exalted sense, but in the way that sovereign and naming and contracts and all these things are about how the Fae manipulate each other's stories, They they do fight and manipulate each other's identities as just how they draw breath, that can all get... Really uncomfortable to just dive in and tell that story in a modern world with cultures you may or may not know about. And I think Kith Book Fawn is a really interesting way to start to experiment with that in a space that's more comfortable for a lot of gamers. So I think I think it does some really interesting, innovative things with the meatier parts of Changeling. So one other thing with this book um is uh, you added some new alternate rules that make the mists and remembrance dynamics a little bit more punishing uh do you want to talk a little bit about how those work and why you wanted to build those rules out
1: honestly the idea for the more punishing mists rules came from the episode we did about the queer themes and changing the dreaming yeah shout out to erica for giving me the idea, but. I really liked um, the discussion we had about those solidarity moments you get as an invisible minority member when you know you realize somebody else is maybe the same thing you are or something similar to what you are and you can do those kind of silent nods so i tried to create an optional system people could use for you know, let's not call it the endless winter, but a similarly despairing setting to the BNS changeling setting, where banality is stronger and where changelings are even more hidden than they need to be. And it gives you different shades of things you can do as a changeling to either um, blend in with, humans or to stand out from humans and there's a martial art i built because let's be honest changeling didn't get a good one
0: yeah that that is fair changeling did not get a good guide for that
1: so thank you all for listening to a slightly advertising but otherwise <laughs> legitimate discussion about ways to change changeling to play with different ideas if you feel so inspired please check out kith book on the storyteller vault or if you want to look at the the courtless rules in one of their earlier iterations they are available on the walking away from arcadia blog thanks for listening and victor do you want to talk about the next thing coming down the pipe
0: yeah. So the next thing that's coming down the pipe, and it's it's a little farther out. Um, Simon's done most of his writing for it, but I, I still have a fair bit of cleanup and expansive writing to do. It's a book on, very loosely, changelings associated with death. Uh, I say very loosely because some of them are directly associated with death. Some of them are much broader metaphors for the changeling fear of death and how that fear, when pushed to its extreme, can do extreme things. Um, it's it's an eclectic mix of ideas, and it's probably the closest thing to straight up nightmare fodder that we've tried to tackle. Um, weirdly humanized, relatable nightmare fodder, which is what I think is best in changeling. I get a little bit back into what it would mean to be a banal changeling try to craft that in a form that makes a little more sense than the original Dante and that could live alongside the c20 Dante. um i'll let simon talk a little bit about the the portions of the book that he's put together
1: and i've been working on building out a more complete iteration of my old thimble spring idea which is also available out on the walking away from arcadia blog in its original version But the idea is changelings who have gone to such an extreme of banality and mortal aging that their moral identity kind of fades away and all that's left is the destructive force of dreaming madness.
0: It should be an interesting book. It's going to take us in a a different direction. I hope When that comes out, people uh, are excited for it, and I hope people are really excited for Kitbook Fawn as well. So um, it should be available on Storyteller's Vault when this drops, and there will be a link in the podcast posting, so you can either get that through your podcast feed or go to our site on Podbean, .podbean walkingawayfromarcadia.podbean.com, and there will be a link to pick up the book there. Thank you very much for joining us.